bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's November 8th, and I'm Paul Dragoo. Special Counsel Jack Smith just said in a court filing that it doesn't matter if Donald Trump genuinely believed the election was stolen. This, even though the D.C. case against him hinges on allegations of fraud and deceit. Also, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky just canceled his country's elections. We have those stories coming up, as well as a conversation with former CEO of the John Birch Society, Art Thompson, about effective organizing. But first, Democrats are celebrating last night's elections and crediting abortion as the key issue to winning. Here is the executive director of Planned Parenthood Advocates of Ohio celebrating yesterday's deadly victory. Abortion is health care. And abortion access is the law of the land in Ohio. Tonight, Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights passed issue one and put Ohioans back in charge of their decisions about pregnancy and abortion. Abortion supporters are happy because Ohioans just voted to enshrine the supposed right to abortion in the state constitution. Ohio's radical issue one passed yesterday by a simple majority of voters in the Buckeye state. Issue one defines a person's so-called right to reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. The current law in Ohio allows abortion up to 20 weeks. This was because Ohio's heartbeat bill, which went into effect last year with the death of Roe v. Wade, has been tied up in litigation ever since. Ohio also has a PRENDA law, which stands for Prenatal Non-Discrimination Act. It bans discrimination against unborn children with conditions like Down syndrome. But the new amendment, which becomes law in 30 days, throws all that out. It establishes abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. It even allows for late-term abortion. But that's not all. According to a legal analysis by the Ohio Attorney General's office, the amendment ends parental consent requirements for abortion, as well as for contraception, sterilization, and so-called gender transition. The amendment's bad and deceptive title is Right to Reproductive Freedom with Protections for Health and Safety. Its Orwellian twist on words should come as no surprise. It was drafted by the Ohio chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. Also on Tuesday, voters in Kentucky, Virginia, and Pennsylvania made decisions that create a dangerous environment for the unborn there. In Kentucky, Democrat Governor Andy Bashir won his re-election bid after he campaigned on expanding abortion access. Kentucky protects unborn life at conception with limited exceptions. This may now be in peril since pro-death Bashir defeated pro-life GOP nominee Daniel Cameron. In Virginia, Democrats kept their majority in the state Senate and they flipped the House of Delegates by campaigning in competitive districts on the threat of an abortion ban. Before yesterday's election, Virginia already allowed abortion until the moment of birth thanks to a broadly defined health exception that's likely to remain the case. Pennsylvania allows abortion after 24 weeks of pregnancy. Yesterday, Keystone State voters filled a vacant seat in their state Supreme Court with the staunchly pro-abortion Democrat Daniel McCaffrey. He beat a Republican who was, who was endorsed by Pennsylvania's pro-life federation. This may prove detrimental to the unborn as well. 
So joining me to discuss today's stories is editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoy. Hi, Gary. Hi, Paul. And we have Steve Bonta back, uh, executive senior editor of the New American. Welcome back. He came back from his uh, South or Central American trip. South American. South Ecuador. Of, there you go. Great place. Yes, we'll have to talk about that. But right now we got a more serious uh, matter. Steve, you and I have discussed this as well. 50 years or more than half a century of, of uh, uh, state-sponsored murder I think has created a culture now that just cannot let go of this idea that abortion is a right, that apparently, like the lady said, it's healthcare, it's obviously the inversion, it's death. But that is the culture that we have. What do you think, Gary? Well, I think that's a huge part of it, but I don't think that's the whole story. Uh, there has been tremendous propaganda to get people to vote the way they did, uh, and also tremendous organization and lobbying on the part of the left to get their people to the polls. and. Mm -hmm. uh, the use of uh, early uh, voting and, and whatnot. So it's a combination of factors. But I'd like to make one other point as well as to what happened, and that is we may uh, look back in history. We may look at Nazi Germany, for example, and we may wonder, well, why is it uh, that the German people tolerated, or, or how could they even get uh, uh, German people who worked in the concentration camps to participate in the mass extermination of Jews? And of course, the, the reason they were able to accomplish that, or one of the reasons, uh, is because of the propaganda, because the, the Jews were relegated in that propaganda to being on a subhuman yeah. status. And aren't we, Paul, doing the same thing with abortion? We're talking about this just being tissue. Yeah. Uh, we're not talking about the, the baby being a human being. Uh, and yet the baby is a human being. Uh, we say that when a mother plans to go full term and they have the baby, we, we say the uh, uh, the mother is expecting her baby, but not when that same mother decides to have an abortion. And so what this shows is that the battle for the right to life did not end with Roe versus Wade. Absolutely. We got a we lot, that of, lot of work to uh, bring people to the realization uh, that uh, we can't do this. And of course, maybe instead of calling it abortion or the right to an abortion, maybe probably should start calling it a right to kill because that's exactly what the people in Ohio voted for, if they realized it or not, they voted for the right to kill. Yeah, it's also the title to a Steven Seagal movie, Right to Kill, I believe. Uh, hard to Kill. Is it Hard to Kill? It's Hard to Kill. That was I'm glad we got Steve back. See where we be with that. What are your thoughts on this, Steve? Well, my thoughts are um, that America is looking more and more like Weimar Germany. When you look at the, look at the economy, you look at the rising anti-Jewish sentiment. Oh, wow. All the, 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 we probably don't think we're going to talk about that today, but obviously we're seeing more and more just dismaying to look at. And also, you know, something that's widely overlooked is the incredible moral decline that took place in Germany after the hyperinflation. I mean, because the, the civilization, the, the, the country fell apart as a result of the, you know, their defeat in World War I. And, you know, Germany was just a spectacle of sort of immoral debauchery in the 20s and 30s. The one thing the American left doesn't have yet is it's Hitler. I mean, Biden really doesn't quite have that same yeah, <laughs> you know, that yeah. charisma. I mean, he's barely alive. You know, but you could see someone like, a, you know, the, the California governor or somebody like this uh, rising. All they need is a charismatic figure. I mean, they have all of the ingredients mm. to create a sort of Reich here in the United States, unfortunately. Uh, let's, and, and, and lest people think I exaggerate, Let's recall how Hitler came to power. He attempted a coup d'etat, the beer hall putsch in the 1920s, went to jail with his cronies, and then got himself elected democratically. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, and, and the Weimar Republic did the same thing that the American Republic is doing, and that is it became more and more and more democratic. I mean, this is, that's the left's game, as, as you, you, you just mentioned. They know how to get out the vote, how to use propaganda. They're much more skillful at this, these kinds of mass manipulative movements. Yeah, they're much Reichstag more- Reichstag fire type. Right, ex- exactly. Th- 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 that's the left's wheelhouse, okay? They know how to do this. And so I'm not at all surprised that in the wake of this rather fluke, you know, the, 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 the Supreme Court overturning Roe Ro v. Wade, which I think none of us really expected would ever happen in our lifetimes, it happens. But now it's revealed, you know, the left is showing the degree of ascendancy that they exert in the culture at every level. But that's what they do. That's how they took over Germany. That's how Hitler came to power. That's how they came, and, and again, I'm calling them leftists in case people be confused. They're all socialists. They all work essentially the same way. The Marxists are the same. So regardless of what they call themselves. The fascists and the Marxists. The, pl- the playbook is the same, but, the, but this, this is all part and parcel of the art of subversion. And America is now very far down that road. I mean, I ju- you mentioned I just returned from a beautiful country to find our republic clinging precariously to life, but it's getting more and more precarious. And mm-hmm. this moral decline, which is now being enshrined in our laws increasingly, is a big part of it. Yeah, and, I, and I'm gonna go back with the last few seconds that we have and harp on, I think part of the reason that we are here is again, because I think the churches have failed to, to uh, emphasize that abortion is murder. I have been part of churches. I have been in churches where they pussyfoot around this idea that abortion, you know, just vote biblical values. That's the kind of way that it's like, no, this is murder. And the churches have not been vocal enough. And now we have a culture of death. We have millions of women who think death is health care. That is absurd. It is absolutely absurd. And I can't help but think that there's the favor of God has been lifted long ago of this country because of that. Thank you, gentlemen. Next up, special Counsel Jack Smith said something mighty interesting in a recent court filing. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back. Special Counsel Jack Smith on Monday struck back at Donald Trump's legal efforts to have the January 6th case against him dismissed. The Washington, D.C. indictment accuses Trump of trying to subvert the 2020 presidential election results by fraud and deceit. But Trump says the indictment is an attack on his freedom of speech and his right to lobby lawmakers. And this argument that his right to free speech is under attack was actually reinforced by Smith's filing, which was submitted on Monday. In it, Smith's legal team asked the court to deny Trump's motion to dismiss the case. According to the filing, Trump can be convicted even if he genuinely believed that the election was stolen. Smith's team wrote in the filing, Donald Trump also asserts that his statements were not deceptive because he genuinely believed that the election was stolen. 
But this too raises a matter for trial, not a motion to dismiss. Even if the defendant could supply admissible evidence of his own personal belief that the election was rigged or stolen, it would not license him to deploy fraud and deceit to remedy what he perceived to be wrong. The filing also says that the detailed allegations in the indictment, which established that the defendant used false statements to conspire, defraud, and obstruct, are not comparable to the defendant's vague hypotheticals. Okay, Gary, so I know you took a special interest in this story. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's a, a catch-22 because, uh, well, obviously, Trump has freedom of speech, uh, just like we all do. However, uh, even if he believes that uh, the statements he's making are, are genuine, that, that, that he's speaking the absolute truth, well, he cannot have that freedom of speech uh, because by, by saying what he believes to be true, uh, he's still engaging in fraud and deceit. It's absolutely ludicrous. Is that because, and I, I had a hard time kind of uh, processing this, and is this, are we, is the entire case, does it hinge on the fact that he has to, they have to prove that he believed that he knew he was lying? Did you get that sense, Steve? Yeah, from what I can tell, I mean, I haven't been following the, the case as closely as you have, but, you know, we, we've obviously entered into the realm of, of thought crime uh, for people surnamed Trump, obviously, and, you know, I don't know what else to say. The, the, the whole thing is just strikes me as absolutely ludicrous. And, uh, but that said, again, as we remarked in the previous section, what we're seeing here is, I think, pellucid evidence of how thoroughly the left has co-opted, corrupted, and otherwise taken control of the legal system. That they have this many prosecutors, this many judges, this many, you know, various and sundry legal groups. factotums and groups yeah. and interviews. They're all coming that are, after That are all, you know, able to, to advance these cases that have zero merit as far as, as, as anyone can see. Not just this one, but obviously one in New York City, uh, which has been in the news the last few days, where Trump just demanded a, a jury trial. And I, I guess you would have covered this yesterday or the day before, before I got back. But, what, you know, with, in, in New York? Yeah, well, in Trump, where apparently Trump... Trump uh, testified in his own behalf, which I would think was unwise. Yeah, we apparently gave the judge a dressing down. The judge screamed at him and tried to shut up the light. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is holy vain stuff or kangaroo court stuff. I mean, well, this is just- And, and let's go into, I, I didn't anticipate we'd go this way, but think about what's happening with all these folks who are folding, especially in Georgia. Right. Uh, you had Jenna Ellis, I think, who was on the stand or, or spoke to the judge and she was crying and whatnot. And I've heard some other commentators in this, and it seems like it's as simple as the fact that they bullied these people. These are white collar workers. These are people who went through law school, who worked their butts off. And all of a sudden, this system is telling them you could be facing jail. I don't think these are the kind right. of people who ever anticipated you, you, that. You could be facing jail if all you do is represent somebody. Represent that's what's apparently at stake here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to harken back to uh, John uh, Adams uh, prior to America's war for independence. And uh, Probably a lot of people don't recall this. And of course, John Adams is one of the most important of the founding fathers uh, because without him, I don't believe the Declaration of Independence would have been adopted. It was written, obviously, by Thomas Jefferson, but, uh, he worked with uh, they but worked uh, John Adams you know, worked to uh, actually get this supported by the, the delegates. But in any event, prior to the War for Independence, uh, there was in Boston what was called and is known to history is a Boston Massacre. And John Adams uh, defended the British shoulder, uh, yeah. soldiers who were accused of that crime. Uh, and uh, they were found uh, 
not guilty. guilty. Yeah. But can you imagine trying to do that today? So, uh, uh, I mean, today I, I can see where a lawyer might think twice as to rep uh, whether or not to represent a client if that client is deemed not politically correct or is deemed perhaps even an enemy, a, an enemy of, of the, the state, state by the powers that be. That seems to be Well, and if I could interject, this is exactly how things work in communist China. They have a court system. They have law schools. They have lawyers. Superficially, it looks a lot like what you would see in the U.S. or a Western country. But here's the reality. The Chinese courts have a 99% conviction rate. Wow. Okay, you, for starters. <laughs> okay. Also, they've got lots and lots of prominent lawyers, particularly lawyers who get a yen to start defending people on the basis of, of human rights, who are in jail or who've had their organs harvested. So they routinely round up and arrest and pr prosecute lawyers who are defending people, let's say, who are um, accused by the government of criticizing the Communist Party online or, drew, or engaged in other subversive activities. The lawyers get jailed along with their clients. So actually practicing law in a country like China is exceedingly Dangerous. risky and that that's what you get and so so this is this is a perfect example of revolution within the forms we still have all the forms of a free republic we have our court system we have you know the law, legal system and all the rest of this but the actual pragmatic reality is mm -hmm. now increasingly that you can be jailed as a lawyer if you espouse the you know attorney client privilege out the window you know and you can be sent to prison too that's the president's being precedence being set just for defending somebody who is deemed indefensible yeah. by this new biased ultra woke system but could there be a more perfect candidate for tr uh, blazing this trail and i'm talking about trump because Trump, you mentioned Monday's hearing, or was it Tuesday, where he testified uh, probably against the uh, the advice of counsel. Nonetheless, there was outbursts. The judge got mad at him. Uh, the, the lawyer went back and forth with the judge and things like that. But it seems like Trump might be the one person who's not going to be intimidated by the system. And I, I don't know if that would be the case with a whole well, lot of... I mean, we just mentioned all these people who are folding. I'm thinking they're not folding because they're necessarily guilty. They're folding because the system is stacked against them and they never plan to be in jail. Again, people like Jenna Ellis and, and lawyers who went through their whole life being good kids and going to and work their butt off, that's not the kind well, of thing. That's something you can threaten well, those again, people. Well, any, again, anybody who's ever received a Dunning letter or been served process or been subpoenaed or anything like this knows how intimidating, I mean, the legal system is designed to be intimidating, right? Even, even though in theory, uh, you know, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. All of the prosecutorial apparatus is designed to but make you cave in. But not to the point in. of jail. Well, you I know, mean, it, 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 no, it's, it's uh, scary stuff because, you know, it, it, in some, for a lot of people, particularly, say, people who are good, who think they who play by the rules, um, that's probably scarier than to have someone say, you know, give me your money. You know, and, and a, that, that, I mean, that's, that's sort of a frightening thing that happens. You hand them the wallet and, and they go and, and it's over with. But, but to get into, you know, this sort of legal stuff that, 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 that saps your money, that destroys your good name, that, that you know, ultimately, you that know, you, threatens to throw, you, threatens you, in throw you in jail. It's incredibly right. intimidating. I, and mean, I think that has a lot to do with why uh, the people you're talking about yes. pled the way they, they did. Why because they are avoiding uh, jail terms. And, right. of course, everything is stacked against them. But I'd like to go back to the, the filing that was submitted by, by Jack Smith. Uh, because in there, he's saying... Uh, uh, well, uh, the statement uh, is false. Uh, you know, what, uh, what Trump is saying uh, is false. Well, how do we know it's false? Because the government, 
you know, because we have established that it is false. Yeah. And of course, their their case pales by uh, by comparison. Uh, they don't have a case. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And therefore, it doesn't matter that Trump uh, may believe that what he's saying is true. Well, let's apply that to another issue. Let's apply that, for instance, to climate change. Are we going to put all the climate uh, people? Uh, climate right. times deniers in jail, even if they believe what there they're saying is true. There have been suggestions for that. All right. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Steve. Hey, folks. The New American just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, self-reliance, and the importance of community, among many other important topics. The authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. After this, the Ukrainian president just canceled the election in his country to focus on his country's war for freedom. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration, Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly, some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. Welcome back, folks. Ukraine will not be having presidential elections. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said yesterday the reason is because his country is at war. In his nightly video address to the nation on Monday, Zelensky said, We all understand that now in wartime, when there are so many challenges, it is absolutely irresponsible to throw the topic of elections into society in a lighthearted and playful way. I believe that now is not the right time for elections. Ukraine's constitution prohibits elections until martial law is lifted, which is unlikely to happen soon. Also, about a fifth of Ukrainian territory is occupied by Russians. Ukrainian law doesn't have any answers on how to organize elections in this situation. Zelensky is also facing growing discontent among his generals and Western allies. Ukrainian forces have not advanced during the much-anticipated counteroffensive. On Monday, we reported Zelensky's latest plea to Americans on Meet the Press, where he passionately tried to make a case for continued American support, which is waning and in jeopardy. In peacetime, Ukraine would have held parliamentary elections in October and the first round of presidential voting in March of 2024. In August, a group of U.S. senators urged him to face re-election. Zelensky said he'd do it if the West shares the cost and the national law is changed. New American senior editor Veronica Karolinko said this about the development. Zelensky finds himself in a tricky situation. Legally, elections cannot happen, yet politically, he needed to prove that his course of no concessions to Russia is still supported by the people. 
then the question remains, if the elections are not held now, then when? After the victory, what if Ukraine doesn't win? Will Zelensky remain president forever? Well, that's a good question. Thank you, Veronica. Veronica helped us on this. She's a resident Ukrainian, so she takes a special interest in this. I find so many things interesting about this. First of all, the fact that Ukraine doesn't have a law uh, uh, to or doesn't doesn't take into account, like, what do we do with elections if there's a war? You know, I think that's telling. But I think Zelensky's also your pretty typical, like, Eastern European soft tyrant. He's, I'm pretty sure he sees this as normal. He sees it as an excuse. This is the kind of crap that passes in Eastern Europe. And this is why Eastern Europe is never, I think, not with this kind of thinking, going to get out of that mindset. I think it's interesting that uh, under Ukrainian law, there is a provi provision that you don't have to have elections as long as you have martial law. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily just uh, full-fledged war, but martial law. So that begs the question, uh, why couldn't the president who was in power, or whoever that president might be, why couldn't he just declare martial law and leave it in place and uh, then he doesn't have to work, uh, worry about uh, elections ever again? Well, can he lift the martial law? Do you have any idea, Steve? Can he just lift the martial law and say, okay, we're no longer in the martial law. Now we can have elections. I'd imagine if he really wanted elections, he could get elections. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on Ukrainian law. <laughs> You're but, not? But <laughs> um, this is the problem. And I think it's probably an insoluble problem that's posed by war. There's that old expression from, from, from ancient Rome, nam silent inter arma leges, which means that the laws fall silent in times of war. The Roman constitution had a provision for this, and that was the institution of what they call a dictator, of which Cincinnatus was the, was the prime example, right? Uh, and so the idea was that when, whenever Rome was at war, that, that they, they would in effect suspend their legal system and they would appoint a member of the Senate to and give him absolute power to direct the military affairs during a time of, 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 you know, of, of war emergency for a period of six months. This is the pragmatic reality of war. And in particularly a war, I mean, Rome, when it was a republic, was literally surrounded by powerful states that frequently invaded them so that their very existence was threatened. Okay? Ukraine finds itself in a similar position. The United States has never been invaded successfully by a hostile power. But even on the occasions when we've been at serious war, the Civil War, the First World War, the Second World War, on all of those occasions when we've we been in elections. a state of total war, we had elections, but our presidents still acted like dictators. You know, so Lincoln obviously rounded up the entire Maryland legislature, jailed journalists. W Wilson did the same, jailed people who objected to the war, imposed a, a draft, which is itself a very dictatorial measure. Um, and obviously World War II, the things that happened during that time, this kind of, you know, unfortunately, the pragmatic re reality of a real war. I'm not talking about some sort of a bush war or a war where you go out, you know, send the boys out to, to, to wage peace in some obscure country in the Middle East or Africa or whatever. I'm talking about a war that really, you know, where your country is under attack, where there's a legitimate concern for national survival, which is certainly the case for Ukraine, was the case multiple times in, in, in the history of the Roman Republic, although eventually they became the aggressors as the empire, right? But in the early years of the Republic, you know, then you have to ask yourselves, okay, well, at what point does the interest of national survival, should it be allowed to, in effect, supersede some of these concerns about, about civil liberty and all the rest of this? Yeah. All of that aside, yes. I mean, Ukraine has got a long ways to go. I, I have a friend personally who has been, used to go to Ukraine as a lawyer, uh, helped them 
uh, consulted with the government to try. You know, there was in, there's an interest in Ukraine which doesn't exist in Russia uh, in trying to reform their system. However, the system as it is, you know, the system of corruption and patronage mm-hmm. goes back a long ways. And I would also point out that that while the U.S. held elections during World War II, the uh, the U.K. did not. Oh, they suspended yeah, parliamentary. Yeah, so I mean, it's so so it's not unusual. So Churchill for was in by then, right? Yeah, and I, and I think I think you know, given the circumstances, uh, Ukraine, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily a great fan of Zelensky, but I do see his point of view. I can't speak for what's in the man's heart, but given the circumstances of uh, of, of Ukraine, the potential, you know, instability. I mean, we see what's happened in the United States with 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 an excess of democracy here well, that's constantly being urged and, on and us. And I think maybe you some know. people are listening and watching and they're thinking, what's, it, what's to stop that from happening here? This was something exactly. that- Exactly. And, 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 and the more unstable we get in terms of you know, our, all the election stuff, you know, countries that are enemies now, you know, de facto that don't yet have the power to, let's say, actually impose their will military in the United States are thinking, yeah, if we keep stirring up you know, subverting the U.S. and, and things get, you know, get more, you know, the rioting and the instability and the political unrest and the, the, the permanent lack of, of, of the, the, the permanent rudderless leadership. You know, eventually we are going, in spite of our favorable geography, in spite of our powerful economy, our military, there may come a day when we may be in the situation that Ukraine is where we are actually possibly subject to a coalition of foreign powers seeking to invade the American, the American mainland or something. You, and and get, then we'll find out how the pragmatic realities of war dictate these kinds of intangibles. I, I'm afraid how the, the public would respond to something like that. Would you care to speculate, Gary? How would the American public respond if Biden came out and said, we're at war? And, and, and that's a possibility, too, especially now with what's happening in the Middle East. No. We don't know who's come over to the southern border. There's no telling what could, could break out here. And I don't trust the public anymore. We got a taste of it post well, 9-11, didn't we? Um, yes, absolutely. And uh, maybe we got a taste of it as well during the COVID period. And we're really not totally out of that, mm, uh, that period. That's a good point, yeah. But uh, I would say how the American people re- respond may depend on what specific time you're, you're talking about. Because, uh, uh, you know, if there were a lot of propaganda to say, OK, we need to launch this particular war, uh, I could see where the American people may initially support it. But then as that war effort uh, goes along, the American people could get tired of it. But uh, Steve, I'd like to go back to something that, that you said regarding Ukraine specifically, because you said Ukraine had a long way to go. Uh, and certainly that's true. But uh, do you feel like uh, Ukraine had a long way to go even before the war started oh, yes. uh, in terms of its uh, respect for uh, basic rights? Oh, sure. Uh, the, 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 but the, I mean, the difference between Ukraine and, and also like Moldova, as this friend of mine that I mentioned also spent time in Moldova trying to help, mm-hmm. is there, there is... I think a significant desire for reform. I don't know if Zelensky particularly shares that, but there are a lot of people mm-hmm. in Ukraine that would like to re- the public, re- re- yeah, Western yeah. style and, of reform, right? And, th- and there's not any interest in that in say Russia or Iran or or, or China. So I, I think it is a little unfair to lump Ukraine and say, well, there's no difference between Zelensky and, and Putin and, and and his system. I mean, but you know, again. I, I kind of look at it as you being have a rosier business. outlook of Zelensky than I. It looks like me and Gary both have. Yeah. I, I think this guy grew up in in the type of atmosphere that he think makes it okay for him to think to do these yep, things. I, I agree. I don't think, and I think we always should keep in mind whether we're talking about the United States, Russia, Ukraine, China, or yeah. whatever, the stark difference between the people and the rulers. Yes. Thank you, gentlemen. Next up. 
Art Thompson, the former CEO of the John Birch Society, is going to join me, and we are going to talk about effective organizing. Imprisonment, forced labor, permanent separation from my family, perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect, but the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud sipped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home. But I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu, a thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase DEFECTOR at shopjbs.org. Join me as the former CEO of the John Birch Society and someone who's done practically everything under the sun when it comes to organizing in the name of restoring and preserving liberty. Welcome, Art Thompson. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm, I'm well. I'm very well. I'm, I'm blessed to be healthy and we're blessed to be doing what we are doing. My understanding is today you're going to talk about the very exciting topic of meetings. Now, I know that's not going to be as boring as it sounds, so take it away, sir. Well, the meetings I want to talk about are those that we attend, uh, like hearings and uh, public meetings to discuss something that's going on in the what school. What about legislative sessions? Well, like- that too. Mm-hmm. But what you need to do, first of all, is to organize. I mean, you, you just can't walk into a meeting not knowing what you're going to do. You're all pent up and you want to say your piece and, and all of that. And change the world. Oh, absolutely. Or at least your community. Yeah, get that thing off your chest, whatever it is that's mm-hmm. hanging there. Yeah. And uh, at any rate, what you need to do is to get together before the meetings uh, and, and plan how you're going to address whatever the problem or support for something is. Because not every time will you be going to meetings and, and being opposed to something. You might be going there to support something. But you've got to make it appear as though you are not just an individual or a tiny group sitting off in the corner talking to each other in whispers. Mm-hmm. But you're spread, you want to spread around in the crowd so that, that you're not all bunched up in one place. Yeah. And it makes it look as though you're the, part of... The support of, is widespread. Oh, yeah. You're, you're just part of the community all over the place. Yeah. But one of the things that you want to do in addition to, to that is to, to, to plan out what are you going to say? And then what are you going to say over here? And then that person, is, what are you going to say over there? Yes. Uh, all in support of one another. But it makes it look as though it's part of the crowd. It's a consensus, if you would be. At the same time, what will happen is it will give uh, uh, support to people who uh, are part of, that believe in your position. 
they'll finally have the nerve some to, to start standing up and expressing themselves. What you need to do to it at that time is to capture the names of those individuals and meet with them after the meetings and, and start drawing them into your circle to expand your, your ability to continue on with even more individuals uh, in the in the uh, town or mm-hmm. county or state or whatever, uh, disseminating the information that you want uh, between the meetings yeah. as well as the meetings themselves. So they're a good opportunity to get your position across if you're organized well and growing your organization. Yeah. It's just that simple. And, and this is obviously key to effective organizing. It sounds like it's a critical component of it effective is. organizing because it's one thing to to have good arguments, good thoughts, to have a few people here, but then there's the delivery and then there's the perception. That's all part of accomplishing the agenda, right? That's right. And and don't forget that whoever is hosting the meeting, uh, you know, the commissioners, the, the board council. members or what yeah, city council or whatever, these things are show business. They're designed to sway. Right, that's terrible. That's very sad. <laughs> well, well, it is. It's really what it is. It, it, and it can be a means for wearing down the opposition. In other words, have hearing after hearing after hearing after hearing, and finally just people get tired of, go to the, of going to the hearings, mm-hmm. and they don't show up except the little hardcore. Yeah. And then they can say, see, there isn't any mass opera, uh, opposition anymore, so now we can go ahead. Yeah. And that's what they do. So you've got to be able to uh, build the opposition to keep it sustainable. Yeah. And that's sort of To keep the pressure thing. up. Oh, absolutely. And work with the press at the same time to show that you're not just a little bit, uh, a little tiny little segment of society, but you represent the majority of the people. Do you have an example where you were part of something like this that was implemented and what it what were the results of it well we did it with uh, the imposition of a police review board stop that but one of the ones that was more the most exciting and and really did boil up the people was sex education in the schools mm-hmm. you know what you see happening in the schools today was a problem in the 1960s a lot of people don't realize well, that we were raising the alarm bells about that that's right. 60s and 70s. We had, we had a national committee called Motorine, Movement to Restore Decency, to expose that. And we, we uh, curtailed it and worked it back so much that it became almost a, a difficult thing to work on because we couldn't show them in, any examples anymore of the problem, even though we knew it was latent within the school system and would come back to haunt us, which it has today with, with a vengeance. Yeah. Only more perverted. In those days, it was just simply a boy and a girl, you know. Yeah. Now you don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's gotten out of control. But this also shows that you don't need massive numbers to, uh, to trigger change and to bring about change. And that's always, I think that's a universal law, isn't it? I mean, the communists certainly know this. Uh, the status, they know this, they, they implement it well. I think the difference would be, and I, I imagine you would agree, is that we, we would do it for purposes uh, to, restore, to restore liberty, to stop, uh, to stop the left and to stop just destructive policies and ideas. That's correct. And, and it's easy to do once you get through to people. And, and one of the things that you always want to do is to, to put in your mind questions to ask people who may be on the fence on an issue, to ask them questions which will get them to understand better than just 
saying what who, you who want to Who are you say. asking these questions of? Council well, members, whoever? Anybody. Okay. Anybody. Uh, the average guy, the person you work with, mm -hmm. members of your family, uh, you know, uh, and, and legislators and that sort of thing, one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. You don't do it in a crowd. Uh, you do it one-on-one. -on -one. And, and the thing is that by asking questions, you can to uh, you can get them to realize that maybe you know a little bit more about the subject than they do, mm -hmm. and to get them to use logic in in some of their decisions, which they're sometimes uh, uh, prone to to believe something based on on the emotion of the day. And what you're trying to do is to get them to think it through. What what, what do you make of? Of, of the officials who, you know, I guess are kind of like the center of these meetings uh, as far as is, um, when you implement this, this kind of these tactics or, or these strategies, do they tend to go the way of where the most pressure comes from? Generally speaking. Not always, but generally speaking. Most of the time they just plow through come hell or high water. Oh. In other words, the population, the people, the voter be damned. Really? Oh yeah, you they'll think just so? oh <laughs> even locally, like super local. Yes, uh, as long as they can have enough of the media behind them, they mm. can get away with it because the media can make it look as though the people, you know, are behind them that they support these moves. Yeah, when they don't at all. Yeah, I wonder if that's still the case because we now have record low numbers of support and faith in in the media. I think especially on the right, and if you're in a, in a little conservative town, uh, you talk to anyone, three out of four people are gonna say they don't trust the media. So I wonder if the dynamics have changed uh, a, a bit. What are your thoughts? Well, it's changed somewhat relative to trusting the media, and yet yeah, there they are sitting in front of the boob tube and, and subscribing to the paper. And so they say that they don't, uh, trust them, but uh, they, a certain amount of that is absorbed over a period of time. It's mm. it's it's inevitable. It's still there's still more trust. Well, than, look, than there should. look at the election yesterday. You know, some of the things that they voted for, you would have thought that they would have rejected completely. You know, like putting abortion into the constitution. Yeah, the uh, right the, to abortion. Yeah, the apparently. right to abortion. <laughs> uh, we were, yeah, we were talking about that was our, our our lead story there. How absurd it has gotten to the fact that uh, uh, we have so millions of women, millions of people thinking that abortion is not only a right but it's healthcare. Yes, the inverse. We, it's it's an it's it's insanity. Insanity is is running rampant through. What uh, you're doing is killing your own child. Yeah. And you are the person, you are the place where it's supposed to be safest. This is the most vulnerable of beings. In the womb, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely insert. I, I didn't know we were, we were going to get into this. But that's, you know, that all plays in, you know, if you have a group, if you have an activist group, this is, this is a major tool for affecting change. But you have to learn how to put together a meeting and how to be effective in a meeting. Thank you, Art Thompson. Thank you so much. And thank you, yeah. everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. Enjoy the rest of your day and join us again tomorrow.